0: Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Thursday, December 9th, and we are having a a questions-only Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. We've been bloviating here a few times here in recent weeks, and we will continue to do that, of course, but we have opened it up for uh, multiple questions, more than we're accustomed to, and I'll start with the first one, which I believe is the only one that we received with regard to Oklahoma State. I've spent the last three or four days looking at Oklahoma State, so I have a lot of things I, I want to say. But the question is from Paul Noon, 7450. I know you have a new coach, recruiting news and the Fiesta Bowl game to discuss and nine months until the Irish visit Columbus, but dying for a little sneak peek on your perspective on Irish chances in the Fiesta Bowl. I
1: think I touched on it a little last time, noting that if Brian Kelly just remained this is not a reflection of Brian Kelly but if everything was just equal i would be very concerned about Notre Dame's offensive line uh their overall level of motivation after being left out and the matchup itself uh, i think they get a big boost from Marcus Freeman but anytime you see a defense anytime you have a rush defense that a lot you see a single digit in the touchdowns and double digit in rushing yards allowed you know they can stop the run and then you see there in the top 15 16 in stopping the pass as well in a power five conference i know the big 12 is not as good offensively as usual this year some things flipped but you have to be concerned about that and then you start looking at it's been a long time but notre dame played good defenses and they did not fare well so this is the ultimate test for is the offensive line better or is the offensive line any good
2: i agree it's better right
1: it's better yeah it's
2: clearly better but now you get to find out how much better you know this is the debate we had earlier in the year is like we didn't think it was going to get better at all well it did but part of that is they played against really bad defenses down the stretch it's um i'm probably more interested in like sort of spencer sanders and like you know where he is mentally because certainly marcus freeman's defense has a way of confusing quarterbacks and it doesn't seem like sanders handles that very well um i get the sense that uh you know that that is an area where Notre Dame can have some success. Um, cause certainly Oklahoma state is, look, I, they put a 55 on Kansas 63 on coachless TCU. And, you know, for the rest of the year, they were sort of like a high twenties offense, um, in terms of scoring. So it, I don't, it's not a game where a Notre Dame goes into this thing of like, well, you got to score 38 to beat Oklahoma state. You could, you may right. be able to beat Oklahoma state in the teens. Um, So how do you play complimentary football where you don't, you don't try to like overextend yourself offensively with Jack Cohn and look, Joe, all is still a freshman, um, this offensive line is still good ish, not great. Um, yeah, I don't think you go into this with a game plan of like, you're going to rely on that. No, you, you rely on your defense to stop them and then hope you do enough offensively, which is not like Notre Dame hasn't had to have that mindset really over the last month.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I I've watched the bulk of seven game, their last seven games, I believe. And it, I mean, it's a good football team. Mike Gundy's done a great job there. I think it's sixteen bowls in seventeen years, which, you know, I realize a lot of those are middle of the road bowls. But he's at Oklahoma State in, in the Big Twelve, and he, you know, at worst they're six and six, and they're really good this year. Now, not having Jim Knowles or Jim Knowles, the yeah. defensive coordinator, being compromised for the Fiesta Bowl. Is a huge advantage for Notre Dame, a big negative for Oklahoma State. Um, you know, but I, I mentioned this on Monday that their season transpired in, in a lot of respects like Notre Dame's did, where they struggled out of the gate. They they were down twenty to seven at Boise State and won twenty one to twenty. Uh, had a tip field goal that would have lost them the game. They only beat Tulsa by five. They only beat Missouri State by seven. So they struggled out of the gate, and then really found their footing defensively, just like Notre Dame did. Had some big offensive outputs in November, just like Notre Dame did. Um, so very similar. But yeah, I Pete, I think the point about their quarterback Spencer Sanders, he's dangerous. Now he is a he's a dual threat. He can sling it. Uh, he's got a good arm. Uh, he can run it. I think you would rather have him try to run around the edge as opposed to up the middle which is where i think he's the most dangerous. They have four very good running backs, one of which was hurt and didn't play against Baylor. And i think um, that made it, a difference, don't you t- I mean that made a difference. I do. He's yeah, he's the, that that's Warren. Uh he's 5'9 220. He's a real bulldog, but i i like the other I mean i literally like all four of the running backs. Uh, that they use three that play Richardson's their third back Dominic Richardson. He is a hard charging, their running backs run really hard. Their offensive line is a corn fed Oklahoma (laughs) state of Oklahoma offensive line. You know, I think they're, they're solid. I don't think it's great, but they're solid. You know, they do an interesting thing. They use their backs a lot in pass protection. I mean, a lot. So that's part of why they've only given up 16 sacks and then plus Plus, Spencer is very mobile and can do some things, but uh, they use their backs a lot in in pass protection, and it's a concerted effort to make sure that he has time to throw. Defensively, Notre Dame's O-line better come ready to play because this D-line will come at you. Their defensive tackles are Notre Dame good. Uh, Brock Martin, number nine, their defensive end, is their best defensive end, although um, they have a freshman. What's his name? Colin, they have a freshman. Number thirty, uh, who's who's kind of a one-trick pony right now. He's a pass rusher and doesn't do, do a whole lot other than that. Their linebackers are short in stature but very good. Uh, they have a safety by the name of Jason Taylor, who I think is a difference maker, really good, and and a corner number zero that does a good job. So it's a good team. They're well coached. If Notre Dame doesn't play a good football game and, and Oklahoma State does, Notre Dame will lose this game. When that when the line opened at two and a half, and I think Tim, it's still at that. Yeah. I thought, you know, maybe three and a half, four, four and a half. But then after watching them for the last few days, I, you know, I I agree with it. It's a very evenly matched game. It's a good matchup. Notre Dame's offensive line better come ready to play because this is without a doubt the best defense Notre Dame has faced since October 3rd, which means when they, play, when they play them, when they play Oklahoma State, it will have been three months since they played a defense as good as this one. So
1: I think it's worth noting, especially Pete mentioned Sanders, and you mentioned 16 sacks allowed. It's probably the best offensive line they've faced since then, right? I mean, Notre Dame, if you take a quick yes. look, six, North Carolina. Of, six of 30, six of the bottom 30 in sacks allowed, Notre Dame went against six of those bottom 30. That's half the season. Now, yeah. they've got sacks against them. That pushes you back a little bit. This it's not chicken and the egg, but it, it they've contributed to that because sometimes they would go out and get four or five sacks. Yeah. But it, it's not the same against Oklahoma. No, no
0: doubt. I think Virginia, we never really saw what kind of offensive line yeah. Virginia had because they were so compromised to quarterback. But yeah, no, no doubt about it. No, no doubt. And um, you know, I mean, this is a challenge. Jeff Quinn probably not certain about his future with Notre Dame and where he's going and those things. Um, It's not a great situation for Notre Dame's offensive line to be in with the uncertainty because that's a a good front. it's a really good front, including their tackles. Their tackles, I don't know that they go as deep as Notre Dame, but their tackles are as good as Notre Dame's tackles.
1: We can switch now to more questions that don't involve Oklahoma State. The LK (laughs) outside of the Manti Teo situation, was last week the longest, craziest week you've ever covered?
0: The I longest. wouldn't put for me. I wouldn't put Teo in that situation because that was. It's not anything close to this. I mean, it's a, just a different. Oh, it's a different animal. That was uh, the craziest you know. by far. Well, right? craziest, yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. thinking just like, uh, yeah, I guess I, I was just thinking crazy work wise. Oh, right. I, I didn't. Right. Yeah, I that was just... overwhelmed by work with the Manti Teo thing. This is this is different. Yeah, you. You'll, I mean, we've talked about it, um, Tim. You weren't with us then, but. Pete was. And, and, you know, when Brian Kelly was named, I, I can remember being extremely ill during that time, number one, but number two, we called that two weeks before he was hired. So although it was intense and assistant coaches and the demand to know um, that was pretty crazy. I
2: mean, George O'Leary's
0: situation in, in
2: 2021 would have been crazier than the kelly marcus freeman no, du- no
0: doubt yeah, no doubt
2: um but it was just like pre-twitter uh internet was not quite as right right uh non-stop as it is now so uh, I, but, I mean man titeo man will forever be number one yes um
1: that was impossible please
2: like i do not want anything <laughs> to even
0: approach it um once you get Doctor Phil involved, like I'm out. Uh, yeah, I'm watching Doctor Phil. I'm taking notes during Doctor Phil. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Like, what are we doing? I was, I was just thinking in terms of intensity of our work. Yeah, like, I didn't this feel was that nuts. way by the tail um, thing.
1: So this was yeah. Monday. This was Monday three o'clock two o'clock yeah, it,
0: it, it came it and was, went pretty quickly It was a.
2: I was in california and i i before lunch yeah. i was
1: making yeah, calls we were, on this we were had we had a nice relaxing saturday though so that was a five day right it was a hit we were able to just kind of wait for the press conference announcement for, for by saturday so it was a five-day rough hit um there's been i'm sure the brian kelly bob stoop stuff that went on and on and you guys called it Two weeks early, Tim. But I also remember seeing you at a basketball game when we used to hang out in right outside the locker room, waiting to go in and interview them. Yeah, and it was it was after you guys called Brian Kelly, and after did I look like death warmed about, over? <laughs> but, you But know, yo, I remember you said you're like, I got to get this one right. Please give me this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: like,
1: yeah, I think yeah, I think because it had been that. two weeks, and it's like, man, if you yeah. if you're
0: wrong on this, that's two weeks of uh really bad reporting. But I, you know, we were we were confident about it yeah. then, and and again, that was it was an easier time then it wasn't i mean social media wise it was it was just an easier time then
1: very funny just because this happened to be brought up you said george o'leary the second time i heard george o'leary in a 15 minute span pete samson today um you guys remember greg carroll who was the wsbt sports anchor sure. for a while mm-hmm. he came over to help me move my dining room table for the christmas tree and uh he mentioned george o'leary when we were he was like that was the worst week of my life, the George O'Leary thing. So there you go. You're 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 right, Pete Sampson, for that one of the worst ones.
0: Club Fred ninety. Had Brian Kelly left at the end of the 2020 season, who would be Norname's head coach today?
1: It would not be Clark Lee, is what they're getting at. If that's no it I mean, certainly, certainly wouldn't be
2: certainly wouldn't be Marcus Freeman I mean it probably no, could, would be it, Luke fickle right It'd be fickle
0: so. and Freeman would be his DC
2: yeah <laughs> I think Freeman would be the head coach at Cincinnati.
0: yeah, you're right you're right that's a good point right. of course it probably would be Fickle.
1: <laughs> um, Matt Campbell, I think game came back into focus at the beginning of this year, right? I'm trying to think of 2020 i think notre dame eliminated matt campbell for a full calendar year after the 2000 yeah United but then
0: November.
2: they came back and won the fiesta bowl
0: so, right.
1: so that was that's a possibility then right there yeah. that would be
0: the yeah interesting question question from cmu Penns fan it appears from the outside that jack swarbrick and father jenkins knew brian kelly was seriously considering a change of scenery while that may never while they may never admit that publicly and while it'd be very difficult to do, were they glad to make the change given all that was happening?
2: Mm, I, I I don't think I would go that far. Um, I think presented with the opportunity to make a change, they weren't like they were ready to make it. Um, but I don't, I don't get the sense that Jack Swarburg was like, would this guy just get out of here already? Um, I don't, you know, look, they, did they have a great relationship? No, um, but I don't, I don't think anyone was in a hurry to like, hey, you know what? Fifty-four wins, like, let's, can we just move on <laughs> to something else? Like that, I don't think there was that vibe.
1: I think one of you brought up a good point last time. It was either, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember which one said it. That um, Jack Swarwick's probably moment of of real revelation or truthfulness was when he said, "I was relieved Brian Kelly didn't ask me to match anything. He was just moving on." Yeah, I think it was Tim. It was just one of those feelings of like. Oh man, you're leaving. Okay. Well, you're leaving. I got you. Because it was one of those yeah, things. He, where you go, no, 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 go five, three, four years ago. You know, it was more like, all right, I respect that.
0: Yeah. Well, when he says that he, that he was pleased that he didn't, you know, I mean, he didn't force a negotiation that tells you everything. He used the word restlessness. Now, Brian Kelly has since said, since he's been at LSU, that that wasn't the case, but I don't, I don't believe him. There's a lot of things now that we don't believe <laughs> that 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 he said, even more so now than than before i I mean, you wouldn't I, you wouldn't would just, just jump at this if there wasn't a level, of course, there was a level of restlessness. He wanted the facility uh, uh, upgrades. There's no doubt about that um that that was a that was a big part of it.
1: I feel like I professionally took a hit. You guys ever you guys pretty good with vCRs back in the day who were able to like take things from one VCR to the other yeah. <laughs> It's a unique skill, right? That you don't need anymore. Me? Well, I was able to speak Kelly for 12 straight years. And now yes. I have a skill set in my life that is totally irrelevant to my professional career. I, I don't need to speak Kelly anymore.
0: Well, give, give me an example.
1: Of being able to speak Kelly when he yeah. says something, I mean, he doesn't mean that at all. That's not what he's saying. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. exactly what he's saying. And that's not it. He's lying to you yeah. right yeah. now. Day to day with I a high ankle. Long, okay, long okay. We'll see you next month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an and, and and, to, tell
0: you and to be and to be fair and realistic, I mean there are times where coaches have to lie. There are times where oh, Jack yeah. Swarbrick has to lie. I, I mean it's just you know, I mean it's just the the nature of the beast with with press conferences and you know Speaking everybody clearly it's all
1: about lies. It's about knowing when he's just kind of you know trying to tell you something that a player can't play. That happens a right. lot too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean get to get back to CMU Pence fans' question. I mean I I. I, it was something that Jack Swarbrick and Nordam always anticipated, but the timetables just moved up. And when the timetable w- was moved up, with Marcus Freeman sitting in their lap, it didn't take long to to get a solution to the the problem. So it worked out for Brian Kelly. He's a billionaire, and and well, maybe not quite that—not a but, billionaire, uh, not a billionaire. Yeah, not billionaire but uh, it's still early. Uh, yeah, you know. So it it worked out, and and certainly Nordame is ready to to. They were ready to turn the page at that point. And I, and I agree that it was just like, oh, wow, this is challenging. And he probably lost a lot of sleep over Swarbrick, that is, over one night. But then he had a solution by the next day.
1: Next from the Frieder, let's assume Mike Elston is the next defensive coordinator. What do we know about his philosophy? Should we be worried about a step back if Marcus Freeman is thus hands off? Should we be worried since Elston was passed over multiple times by Kelly?
0: Well, his philosophy will be Marcus Freeman's philosophy. That's... Right. Marcus really Freeman's the head coach. Yeah. I mean, the same way Luke Fickle impressed upon different situation because Marcus Freeman was a first time defensive coordinator, but the same way that Luke Fickle impressed upon him, what defense they were going to run, it it, it would be a similar thing. Now, Mike Elson has been around a lot longer. Um, I think that, you know, as far as the, the schemes and the games that they do up front um, Marcus Freeman probably still gives him authority to do most of that, but, you know, this is, it's not going to be like Marcus Freeman standing on the sidelines saying, Oh, what the hell is Mike Elston going to call next? And we don't know whether Mike Elston is going to be the defensive coordinator. I suspect not, but, um, it would be, and whoever is hired as a defensive coordinator will be running Marcus Freeman's defense. I agree with
2: all that. If it was Elston, I think that you factor in, okay, the last five years, what have you been doing? You've been learning from Mike Coco and Clark Lee and Marcus Freeman, um, I think that, you know, even Marcus Freeman got here and wasn't running what he was running last year. I mean, it, it, was, it was kind of a mashup. So I would think Elston would be prepared to do that. Um, but I I don't have much of a sense at all for where Marcus wants to go with, with his first
0: DC. Well, it's not going to be a decision made until January. So that seems to be a hint that it's somebody involved in an, in an important game still to be played. I, you know, I don't know that for sure, but um, yeah, I don't know. And, and clearly there are people within Marcus Freeman's purview and background that he's thinking, you know, linebacker coach slash defensive coordinator. I would think, I would think, and we all know that we all know that Nick Lazinski is ready to be a linebackers coach at Notre Dame. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's been coaching the linebackers, but um, you know, for him I would like that, but uh I think that there's probably somebody out there that that Freeman has in mind that still has some important football to be coached elsewhere. I
1: do like one part of this question. Should you be worried about Freeman being less hands on? I think for the bowl game you should be.
0: I don't think he should be hands off at all in the bowl right. game. Right.
1: If he if he is not hands on, I think it will hurt them in the bowl game.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be yeah, I wouldn't
2: be worried about him being hands off for the bowl game because he won't be.
1: Right. Well, I just yeah. I guess you know, you can only, you can only serve so many needs.
2: Yeah. But it's just like the timing of it, like signing day is next week. Yeah. And then he can be somewhat hands-off with recruiting and just like, okay, we're doing the ball game. Like that, it's a dead yes. period at that point. Yeah. So,
0: and then, different. and then the rest of the question was, should we be worried since Elson was passed over multiple times by Kelly? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a factor. He doesn't have experience. You have a, you have a first time head coach and the potential for a first time defensive coordinator. With an offensive coordinator going into his third year, but I don't think that that's a a, a real concern anymore. Uh, despite Tommy I mean, Reese's age, he's going in the right direction. But uh, yeah, you know, some multiple things to have a concern about. Question from Old Chuck of Old Chunk of Cole. What specific innovations did Matt Bayless bring to Nording's strength and conditioning program? I thought of this question while watching the Irish bludgeon Stanford in a way that I would not have expected 10 years ago. Any details would be appreciated about Coach Matt Bayless? I think his tenure, trying to place
1: everything, has included the use of the GPS technology, right? It did not precede him with Longo. Am I being unfair to Longo? I can't recall. I think
0: that's – I think that's correct, at least not to the extent that they're using it now.
1: Right. Um, I think so the monitoring of all that with force, velocity, heart rate, variability, knowing instead of saying like he has a really good work volume, they know you have a really good work volume because of that. Or they know you have a poor work volume or you shouldn't be playing extra snaps. I, I think that used to be more of along the lines of he's tough. He could do it. He can play more snaps. And nowadays yeah. with that, they're like, well, you know what, actually he gets a lot worse. It's kind of like a pitcher in major league baseball, that they yeah. have a annoying pitch count. There's, there's almost not a snap count, but they kind of know, I think because of that technology.
0: Yeah. Pete, what do you know about this? That's all
2: part of it. You know, Jake Flint uh, who's now off to LSU with Brian Kelly was sort of was more the science guy uh, in that group, a bit, you know, self-taught. And like you watched him during practice, he'd be over there with a laptop monitoring like real-time exertion rates for yep. the players. So I think that's yeah, getting away from like the just go until you puke, like you're yeah. soft, like that kind of stuff. Um it's not for as old school a voice as Matt Bayless has, like your traditional strength coach. I don't think that they have like that old school vibe anymore. Um, I don't at
1: all. In fact, I think that's just his voice. <laughs> Pete, I think yeah. you make a great point. I mean, we talked to him during COVID. I talked to him last summer and he, he just talked about how everything for him has been an evolution. Like if he went back to when he was doing this in 2004, none of this that he does now was going on in 2004. Like he is totally adapted with the times. Yeah. That is a great point by you, that it's not an old school strength coach in that way, because he is 100% like, welcome open to any cutting edge thing you said jake but like one
2: yeah i mean one of the things like the the velocity of the lifts is not something that i think 10 years ago anybody was concerned about but now it's like you know it's kind of how quickly can you exert force against the ground opposed to how much force can you exert against the ground so there's a different focus on what a good lift looks like now versus how it was 10 years ago well
0: and that, and that and that's probably not Bayless's doing that those are other people outside but I mean I think that's obviously it makes sense it, you know it's everything is done in fast motion playing football so why wouldn't you train right at least to some extent maybe not all the time because you're you're building just power and strength, but velocity along with it certainly comes into play. And I also think that, I mean, there's just a, he has a way about him. There's a mindset. He's tough on them. I mean, you've heard the players talk about the, their conditioning that it's, it's, oh, it's yeah. a shock to the system for the freshmen to come in, but that's, that's probably the case most places, but I think he's got a great mindset. I think that he is equally uh, tough and encouraging at the same time, which again is a modern day approach to coaching college athletes.
1: Brian Kelly mentioned, not to belabor this too much, but I like the Bayless conversation, actually. Brian Kelly mentioned a lot when the mid-year comes in, it's a shock to their system. So I kind of followed up on that with Bayless. He's like, yeah, Nick McLeod's one of our better workers in the last two years. But when Nick McLeod came in, it was a shock to the system. Like, I just think it's not that others' places are far, far behind. I just think Bayless has some unique methods that really stress you mentally, too. Um, Because remember like Isaiah Pryor came in and Ben Skoranek came in and they were like the top two scorers. So it's not only that you're coming from somewhere else in the, in the point system, but I I think Bayless is able to talk about that. He's like, yeah, it's just a different thing. Some guys adapt, some don't. um, And eventually you adapt. Otherwise you, you fall way behind.
0: Question from TK Brown's 84. A lot is being said and written about Marcus Freeman's ability as a recruiter. How is Tommy Reese as a recruiter? How about compared to Chip Long as a recruiter? Is he as good as Chip Long? And for those that haven't heard, Chip Long is now the new offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech. So Notre Dame will be seeing him down the road as long as he's uh, still a yellow jacket.
2: I would, you know, Tommy Reese, I think, is a good recruiter. Um, I wouldn't put him at the Chip Long or Marcus Freeman levels, but I think he does, he does a good job. Like, I think he's... The job that they're doing on, you know, with quarterbacks in 23 and, you know, the recruitment of Carnell Tate, like even helping out with uh, the CJ Williams, Amorian Walker, Tobias Merriweather, depending on how those things shake out, like he does a good job. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately Notre Dame is going to get Billy Charles from Wisconsin without the offensive line coach being much of a value add for Notre Dame. Um, so that comes down to the offensive coordinator. So, uh, yeah, I think, he's, uh, I think he's a good recruiter. Um, I think Chip Long was, is a great recruiter. Um, and I guess we'll sort of see where, where Marcus Freeman shakes out. But certainly, there's a, he may be better than great.
1: How do you improve, do you think, as a recruiter? Because clearly, Tommy Reese, as a good recruiter, would have a new goal of being a great recruiter, right?
0: I don't know. you got I mean, to let, well, you let your personality out. And I think that he's done that. Uh,
2: I would say one way you could improve as a recruiter is your head coach is a good recruiter.
0: That's
1: what I was thinking. Like clearly he has a new <laughs> mandate to be a better recruiter than he's ever been because they're yeah. all supposed to be. Well,
2: not, I'm, I'm saying like, forget the mandate. Your head coach has your back in recruiting.
1: Well, yeah, that's so
2: that's, well, that is, that is different than what it was before. Yeah.
0: And so. I, I mean, wouldn't you agree that, I mean, I think Tommy Reese has worked hard at this. I don't think that it comes really naturally for him to schmooze and woo 16, 17 he's year old He's a no BS play football. guy. Like his yeah, personality is exactly. not
2: putting up with that crap.
0: Right. Exactly. And so I think he's had to work at it. I think he's really, I think he's become much better at it and his trending continues to, tr- to trend up. But the point that you're making about Marcus Freeman as a recruiter, I mean, you know, you, there were a lot of times that assistant coaches in Notre Dame felt like they were getting no help and no support from Brian Kelly in the recruiting department. I mean, yeah, that, that difficult. pop, that was, that was constant. That was constant.
2: Yes. Right. I be, I believe that you could have read a story on the athletic about that. in in January that that Notre Dame got a little, a little, a little, a little up in arms about.
0: Yeah. Well, why? Because it was accurate that yeah. yes, I remember that happening and, uh, and you were correct, sir. Uh, Question from not Troy Thomas. When will this offense take the next step? It's been pretty basic thus far.
1: I just kind of wanted to read that so Tim could respond right away. I knew you did. I'll, I'll interject you did. here. In the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he can, now that I've interjected, Tim, why don't you, you begin this one?
0: Well, I mean, how is it basic? That's just, that's not true. It's just not true. I mean, you're, you want Kyron Williams to get 15 to 20 handoffs every game, right? How would you like them to go about handing him the football? Should he? I mean, should he stand on his head and hand it to him or or there's nothing there's nothing basic about Dame's offense? That's my answer.
2: Uh then to me, the next step is you have some killers on the outside. Um, you don't just have one Kevin Austin who flashes in and out. You have uh, a Justin Ross and a T Higgins, you have a Devonta Smith and a Henry Ruggs. Like you you Tobias have Merriweather
0: and a CJ Williams. Hopefully.
2: You have multiple guys on the outside who make it happen um they have not had that since golden tate and michael floyd
1: this is a good time to bring up the pete samson text to me during the uh, Jalen waddle <laughs> freshman year Jalen waddle catches a pass in the sec championship game and goes 67 yards untouched he looked like rocket ishmael running and pete texts me that's their michael young because <laughs> he was a fourth receiver on the team and i thought yeah that's a bit of an issue Right there. But that is right. You do have the old joke in Irish Illustrated about both. Who do you get? You get both. Getting both helps take an offense to a next level. Well, it's
2: like, my, think about like the BCS games that we covered. ML, uh, I don't know if you were at the Fiesta Bowl in 05 or the I Sugar was there, Bowl but in 06. not
1: in yeah.
2: Okay, so uh, Ohio State was, I think it was Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn, and Anthony Gonzalez were their starting receivers. They were all first-round picks. And the next year, I think it was Jarvis Landry and Dwayne Bowe with Brandon LaFell being like an anonymous fourth receiver that they had. I mean, it like Notre Dame just doesn't have that. Um, I think Troy Aikman's quote is like, you're only as good as your number three receiver in terms of your pass game. Well, if you apply that sentiment to Notre Dame's pass game, it explains a lot. Um, They haven't had dynamism at all three spots in a long time
0: in in that you answered it correctly when it, it it's about skill position athletes because if you remember the Alabama game last year and I'm not sure I realized it exactly while I was watching it in person but then re-watching it on uh, on tape um Notre Dame was able to match up physically with Alabama athletically they couldn't match up with Alabama and that's why they got blitzed right out of the right out of the gate And um, and it happened the way it did. So that's the next step. Tommy Reese is doing fine with his basic offense. Question from Edgewood Abraham. In today's name image likeness landscape, what is stopping Nordane from getting Kyron Williams, Kevin Austin, Isaiah Foskey, NIL deals that would give them good money in the short term so they could jump up around the NFL draft the following year and earn more long term?
2: I mean, I believe the NCAA rules are stopping Notre Dame from doing that, but those opportunities are out there. Um, it's probably a better question for, like, people who are representing those three players. How can they make that happen? Because um, I would think that there are people around Notre Dame that would be willing to facilitate some of that stuff.
1: Pirate Williams would be a pretty marketable name. Image I like yeah.
2: yeah. Right. I mean, he's represented by Drew Rosenhaus.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really... That's a feasible one. Um, Michael Mayer. I couldn't gauge if he really wasn't interested in it at all, or if he was putting it on the back burner to focus on his season, or if he was told to put it on the back burner, but that was a question we asked him in in August camp. Uh, His answer was he has absolutely no interest in it yet. That that day will come. Maybe that day is coming when he's going to his junior year, his last year. And I think that would make a lot of sense.
2: I talked to his family about that during the season and yeah, they were getting blown up all year and the vibe, what they said was just like, "We'll talk to you in January." And this, yeah,
1: it makes total sense. It's a good way for a true sophomore to go about something at Notre Dame too.
0: Well, it's concern. I mean, I think it's concerning because the spirit of NIL is not for the school to find ways for the per se for the you know the school to go out and and find ways for them to make money. It was for the individual to be able to um, you know, make it happen for him. I, I, think it's, I think we're in a dangerous time. I know that when, was it BYU that gave out the NIL to walk ons that, that was viewed by Notre Dame as not in the spirit of the intent of NIL. So it's concerning and people will continue to push the envelope. The thing with Texas, I'm not sure I completely understand, uh, you know, I'm talking about the offensive lineman. Yeah. uh, you know, part of that is tied into, um, Charitable acts, which which is a great thing, of course, but people are going to push the envelope more and more to to get money for players, and it's it's going to go beyond the spirit of NIL. And I don't know who the hell is going to legislate that, because the NCAA can't legislate anything much anymore.
2: Yeah, it's just—I mean—I think it's similar money to what was there before. It's just on the books now. You know, it's Hopefully, most fans don't look at this as like, oh, my goodness, the players are getting money now. Like, yeah, that, that, that's that been going on for a while, guys.
1: He almost this, peach <laughs> almost fake clutch pearls there, but he yep. pulled away from the last moment. M. Lindbergh <laughs> is the next great push after facilities. Going to be admittance of more undergrad transfers. Feels like we have one hand time behind our back in that regard with the rise of the portal and the amount of quality talent leaving teams. Or will Swarbrick see which way the winds are blowing and move this portion of the agenda to a priority within <laughs> the administration?
0: This is a this is a tough one. This is a sticky one that's going to cause problems for Notre Dame because you know, undergrads that wouldn't have been wouldn't have made it in academically out of high school. Notre Dame's going to fall behind in this area in the short term. Brian Kelly just said it a few weeks ago about hey, Notre Dame's route is grad transfer, not as much undergrads, but with you what you see going on. In the portal and across the country, this is going to be a problem for Notre Dame. I,
2: I mean, a minor problem. I, I always feel like it'd be more of an inconvenience than a problem. Like, because you, you would even reference like players that couldn't get into Notre Dame out of high school. Like, well,
0: why would you then let them in as a transfer? You know, I, I mean, know. I'm like, just saying. I'm saying, saying that. I'm saying there's going to be a shortfall for Notre Dame compared to other schools. When it comes I, to undergrad know, transfers,
2: certainly Notre Dame will have fewer undergrad transfers, but I think they will lose fewer guys to the portal as well. So it's like they'll have less space to backfill.
0: True, the but way you're that not like Michigan,
2: what what did Michigan? I don't know how many did Michigan State have like twenty grad tra- or twenty transfers in this year. Like, yeah, well, that well, was a my, good deal for them, but they had twenty guys leave too
0: but it's less infusement of what is considered to be an upgrade in talent. Sure. Yeah. You
2: have to do better in recruiting um, in terms of targeting. Like I think the grad transfer route was makes sense for Notre Dame. I understand why like Notre Dame can sort of get behind that philosophically. Um, But it was the receiver at Alabama. Is it, is it Jameson Williams? The kid who came from Ohio state, like that you're, you're probably not going to get that one. Um, but you know, it's like if a guy was going to go from Ohio State to Alabama, is like, is he really coming to Notre Dame in the first place? Like, even like, if you I, could take him,
0: well, or like for we example, excuse them. me, Tip, let me sort throw, throw this in: Sonny Styles is now going to reclassify, and hey, he's that, coming to college yeah. next year. That's that, that's yeah, a that's tricky a, one.
2: Yeah. Like I don't, like I don't know how Notre Dame could get its arms around that situation. <laughs>
1: I think to Pete's point back and you guys are kind of complimenting each other's points without meaning to. Pete, you're saying that like it's not a problem for Notre Dame because it's the problem already exists. They can't get those guys in, so it's not an additional problem. Where Tim is saying, Yeah, they can't get those guys in, but now that guy can go from Michigan to Alabama or or from LSU and Alabama and Georgia to Ohio State when they're playing a two-season series with Ohio State. And then those guys, they're, tra- they're going between – talent is going between – elite talent is going between teams Notre Dame has to beat to win a playoff game or to get to a playoff game. I mean, Georgia, Florida State, Alabama, and LSU can all lose a starter to Clemson.
2: Yeah, well, Clemson lost a starter to Georgia this year at corner.
1: I just um, did four to one though. You know what I'm saying? Like Florida yeah. state it, it's, I think if Notre Dame is going to be bringing in three to four grad transfers, which is obviously necessary because you're going to be losing early graduates like Litchfield, and there's going to be mm-hmm. five Litchfield adjuvans every year, plus five guys that just want to transfer out. You're going to have to bring in one, Alohi Gilman or one Amir Carlisle every year.
2: Starting, 100%. And starting. it's like, what if your Notre Dame wouldn't, you know, there's certainly a lot of upside to like the guy who's been in a college weight room for, Three and a half years opposed to one. Um, you know, I asked Brian Pullian about this. Uh, cause I was like, you know, what do you think you think the grad transfers will be more valuable moving forward? Uh, this was in the pandemic times when there like wasn't high school seasons. And he's like, Yeah, there's there is absolutely nothing better to evaluate off than college tape for a college football player. Um, you know, forget high school stuff or practice clips like. This is game footage. So, yeah, I think I think Notre Dame will be in a position for that. And you're going to have more like Isaiah Pryor's where the guy comes to Notre Dame with two years of eligibility, not just one.
1: Because he graduated early, you're saying?
2: Right.
0: Well, and was recruited by Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. you know to begin with so that that, that I'm trying to
1: get Jalen Waddle to come to Notre Dame Pete you could have your fifth year grad transfer senior <laughs> okay. that that, that can get more points in the off season system because uh, right. yeah
2: Jalen Waddle's not transferring uh unless you're tar- he's declaring for the draft
1: yeah <laughs> Irish, boy, Irish boy one this reminds me of when Jerry Faust came in and how good he was at recruiting i just pause for everybody to listen i hope <laughs> we're not this disappointed. Man. i hope we're not disappointed with Marcus Freeman has to tackle the football coaching part of this thoughts.
0: Did you want to ask that question so I would respond to it first as well? <laughs> you guys have me figured out so well. Um, Jerry Faust and Marcus Freeman have a few things in common. They're both male and they both coach football at Notre Dame. From Ohio, be, right? And they're okay, they're for there. I'm sure there there's you a go, bunch
1: Pete. Of them. My point.
0: <laughs> yeah, guys, getting my, carried away now. <laughs> my my point being that. I mean, I, Jerry Faust, and everybody agrees, a, a good Christian man, um, and I agree with that as well. But Jerry Faust knew nothing about X's and O's. Marcus Freeman is a proven defensive coordinator on the highest level. Um, the football coaching part, Marcus Freeman's got down. Jerry hopefully Faust never did.
1: Hopefully both Jerry Faust and Marcus Freeman beat LSU in their first season coaching in Notre Dame. That would make <laughs> fun stuff. So.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, again, everybody, Jack Swarbrick admitted the fact that he's not been a head coach. Yeah. You're concerned about it, but any kind of comparison to Jerry Faust is just completely irrelevant.
1: This question is about Marcus Freeman as a first-time head coach, Irish, John M. Can you discuss major challenges that Marcus Freeman will encounter upon making the jump from assistant to head coach at a place like Notre Dame? Since this is a comparison some are making, are these similar or different to those faced by Bob Davey? How so?
0: Uh, Let me tie in, you know what, now that I think about it, let me tie in. This is also a question from uh, Maninti Maninti, which was, was anyone else a little taken aback by Freeman's response to the question about what type of offense he will have? He seemed almost entirely deferential to Tommy Reese. Is that just a compliment to Reese or should we be concerned about the head coach that didn't have a clearly defined offensive approach? I had the same reaction when I heard his approach. I, I'm saying that I, I had the same reaction when I heard his answer to the question. Uh,
2: yeah, I I did not have that reaction because I had been told that getting Reese secured was almost contingent upon Freeman being hired.
0: No, I, so, I I'm a I'm aware of that, know? but Tommy Reese is going to be around for probably two years max, and then right. he'll be a head so coach.
2: Marcus Freeman has two years to figure that out. I mean, it's one of those things where like you. Marcus Freeman has some runway to answer the questions that trip up first time head coaches so often because of the state of the program he is inheriting with Reese's OC and Bayless as a strength coach. Like, I mean, college football is littered with coach offensive head coach can't figure out the defense. First time defensive head coach can't figure out the offense. We've always been that way. We've covered that here with Charlie Weiss. Yeah. Um, so I I was not cons- I would have been very concerned if Reese had left and Freeman had answered that way. Um, but I wasn't concerned at all because Reese is still here. But yet you're right. It's not like Reese is going to be here for the next ten years with Marcus Freeman.
1: So reading between the lines, what you guys are saying is Marcus Freeman likes a basic offense, right, Tim? <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But that, part of the question from Irish Sean M was about. You know, since this is a comparison, some are making, are these similar or different to those faced by Bob Davey? Um Yeah. I mean, he brought, he brought in uh, his first OC was uh, the head coach at Jim Purdue. Coletto. Jim Coletto. Jim Coletto. Yeah. yeah. Which never, I never like my offensive line coach to be the offensive coordinator. I don't Especially now. Yeah. I, I mean, that's was just, a thing. man, that, that, That doesn't, that doesn't work really well. So it worked for Brian Kelly, uh, before he got prior to Notre Dame. Yeah, it did. But of course, again, that was Brian Kelly being the ultimate decision maker. Right.
2: I, I'm much more concerned, not concerned, but like interested, curious, leery of like, all right. Um, how do you manage the clock? When do you go for it on fourth down? Do you know what are you prepared for all the weird moments in a college football game that you don't expect to happen? Um, snapping a ball over your punter's head for an intentional safety. Like, how do you field onside kicks? I mean, that that kind of stuff to me is way more like he's gonna have to figure this stuff out on the fly than how do you run a practice? I'm pretty sure you can run a practice. Right. Um That's-
1: he'll be a better game day coach in 2024.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: He's, he is going to be learning on the job and we're all going to be watching it. Like that's a, that's just the re, Notre Dame signed up for that reality.
0: But it was, uh, you know, like BK had his list of yeah, 70 things, yeah, you know, yeah. that they always, that, you know, over the course of his career, he kept adding to that list. I mean, he, he, Marcus Freeman has access to that list or had access to that list. And then, A lot of people have been asking about, you know, analysts and are they going to get somebody with head coaching experience and offensive coordinating experience? And I'm sure all of those things are on the table. I don't have any names right now. I don't know if you do, Pete or Tim, but, you know, I'm sure all of those things are on the table. There are a million moving parts with a football program and they can't all be answered between now and the bowl game. And so you continue to work on that um and gather that list but yeah of course you have to make you can have that list and you can practice that list but when the game's on the line and millions of people are watching you now have to make a decision and you have to make it in split second fashion and uh you know what i would hope is something that didn't happen with brian kelly when he decides to go for two when he's up by uh what was it 11 against northwestern yeah the
1: only man you don't ever go for two
0: Right. That he has enough trust in his assistant coaches and his his coordinators that here's a, OK, if I could bear with me for a second. When I coached in high school, I didn't want everybody to tell me what I wanted to hear. I wanted to know when you thought I was wrong. That's that. Why would I not want to hear when you think that I'm wrong? I want you to prevent me from making a bad decision. And I, and I didn't think that that ever happened with BK and that shouldn't happen with. With Marcus Freeman, because hopefully he's open-minded enough to say, "Hey guys, I want to know when you think that I'm making that that my decision might not be correct for this situation."
2: Yeah, well, I mean, even just I would say like the Virginia game this year, where you know when they called timeout, they're going to kick a field goal, and then Brian Kelly like I re- was like, "Well, right, I asked actually, him about let, that on Monday, the yeah, Monday. Afterwards. Let's go for it." But like, I don't know if Brian Kelly just like it was just an epiphany he had, or like Reese got him on the headset and was like, "No." What are you doing? Go for it! Right, um, right. You need somebody to to tell you that. Yeah,
0: no, that's good. And I think he'll be open. Look, he's he's a modern day coach. He should be open minded to anything that his his trusted confidants will offer to him. Doesn't always have to agree with it, but you right. want to hear it as a head coach.
1: Next from Jim Bob Cooter Five. Were there any surprise head coaching candidates you were hearing about leading up to the Freeman hiring? And that name makes me laugh almost every time. <laughs>
0: I don't know. We kind of talked about this off the air. I don't, I'm not aware of any candidates, you know, like, oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't expect him. It it was written that there were eight candidates. Uh, And again, we talked about this off the air. It never got to eight. (laughs) There were, there weren't discussions with eight different candidates. There wasn't time for that. I'm sure there were eight originally, and it was whittled down to three or two in a, in a, in a very quick fashion. Yeah.
2: I don't know names of this one, but like, I don't, maybe Swarbrick would reveal this now. Like I want to know who the other two finalists were with Brian Kelly back in 2010 or 20 or 2009, I should say. Um, I don't even have an answer on that one. So, you know, look, agents will return your call immediately if you're Jack Swarbrick in that instance. So that's, that's what, where the candidate list comes
1: from, I would say.
0: Yeah bwack tim you got anything there
1: no i was gonna say somewhat related to this next one we're still on staff
0: from bwack 29 who are the top who are at the top of your list of the remaining openings on the staff as far as i can tell that would be defensive coordinator linebackers wide receivers offensive line special teams i started a thread on this yesterday the controversial thread because i didn't name who was going to Fill all of these spots. What uh, why don't you know things that Marcus Freeman doesn't know? Right, him? exactly. I need to be one step ahead of Marcus Freeman's decision making <laughs> about his staff <laughs> as he f- tries to wrap up a recruiting process and then prepares for a bowl game. And you know that those things really are secondary. Now, special teams, do we have a question about this? I think we do. I'm stepping on it if we do, but. You know, somebody's going to have to make those decisions in the bowl game. I'm sure that will be a community-wide yeah. uh, job within the coaching staff because you have guys that have coached special teams extensively, including Mike Elston.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: Marcus Freeman even did that. Yeah, this year, uh, yeah.
1: Marcus Freeman. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah,
2: he's been involved. In, and I asked him about it. Like, he was the guy who liked to call fake punts um, when he was at Purdue, I think, or Kent State and Purdue. Like, he's got a thing for calling fake punts. So. Maybe uh, something to look forward to moving down the road.
0: Well, speaking it's of that, game. Marty.
1: You're seven take punts. Just keep doing it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of that, Marty Biaggi, who was a, a special teams analyst in 2016, and then went to North Texas and has one of the great, uh, I guess you'd call fake punt returns, or maybe that's not exactly it. Where the guy catches, he doesn't signal for a fair catch, but he catches it as if. He standing. called for a fair catch. So the coverage team reacts accordingly. And then the, the, the return man takes off and goes 90 yards as North Texas did against Arkansas. When Mart Marty Biagi was there, Marty Biagi is now with Purdue. He's a very good special teams coach. He loved being in Notre Dame. He wanted to stay at Notre Dame. Uh, if he's on Notre Dame's radar, which I'm sure he is, he'd be a good candidate for that offensive line coaches. You know, again, this is going to take time. Uh, Jeff Quinn presumably will remain Notre Dame's offensive line coach in the bowl game. I really liked Phil Troutwine last year. What he did at Boston College, he then went to Penn State. And Penn State they didn't have a great they didn't have a great year up front. And and again, I I caution people that just just because a unit doesn't perform well doesn't mean that the coach is is not good or is incapable. But sometimes you just can't find immediate answers to your problems. Uh, but that, that uh, you know, I have no idea whether he's on Notre Dame's, uh, Notre Dame's radar. And then Nick Lazinski also could be, uh, you know, could be the linebackers coach.
1: Nick Leszczynski uh, makes a lot of sense because first of all, he has an overseer and Marcus Freeman is the head coach. And if Notre Dame wants to spend money elsewhere, Nick Lazinski would be happy to have his first major coaching job be at Notre Dame for a little less money than going out and finding someone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to take someone money out of someone's pocket, but if you want, if you're striking big at defensive coordinator, wide receiver, or offensive line, mm-hmm. you're saving at special teams and linebacker, and they have a great candidate for linebacker.
2: Right. I mean, I Kerry Coombs is somebody that I I think I would love for Notre Dame to take a look at. Um, you know, he's could be like you know your Bill Lewis type, um, your Bob Elliott type for Marcus Freeman you know, you could move, does he coach special teams or, you know, does he coach safeties and O'Leary moves to linebackers? He did work with rovers two years ago. Um, you know, knows Ohio good recruiter, but I think mostly it's like just the institutional knowledge of coaching would be, would be beneficial, but you're, I don't, I'm not advocating
0: know, for defensive coordinator, of course.
2: Right. Um, well, I mean, if he's a defensive coordinator under a defensive head coach, then, Maybe it's a different story, but you know, it could be like you're an associate head coach type. I don't know. Um, I know that Ryan Day really wants to keep him at Ohio State, though. So I'm not sure why he certainly has personal connections to Marcus Freeman. Um, he worked with Mike Elston at Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I, I think that he would be a good person to have on staff. If a good you can person, to okay.
0: because, of course, Jim Knowles is going to be the defense coordinator at Ohio right. State. They, so they are not-
2: they have one coach that's got to go. Um, And it will be a guy on defense. And, you know, Kerry Combs was the DC got demoted in season. Um, But again, that doesn't mean that he's a bad coach. Um, He's one of the best sort of assistant coaches in the country. I think, I think it would be a good add.
0: We're going to have to allow this process to play out because there are, again, a lot of moving parts and Marcus Freeman hasn't decided. And uh, we're not in a position to say, uh, you know, or like, or, like, we're frequently asked, you know, who would you like? Or name the – is that really – I mean, is that really pertinent? I'm not really sure that that's pertinent. I mean, uh, I can
2: tell you who – I mean, look, if you could – if you said, hey, Notre Dame has hired Harry and as offensive line coach and Chris Watt is returning as analyst, I'd be like, yep, that's who I would like.
0: <laughs> that's a little bit of a different story. I'm talking yes. about names that we're not fi- – you know, I mean, everybody's already determined who should be Nordame's wide receiver coach. Yeah, I don't man, um, I don't have a
2: handle on that one at all.
0: Yeah, there could be some internal moving parts there on the offensive side. We'll see about that. Uh, question from Ole Windpants. Would you assume there could be any big changes to the offense with Kelly? I'm a fan of Tommy Reese and his play calling already, so this isn't a criticism. Of the season, I think he's once again writing that question to make sure that I don't jump down his throat here. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, what what would you change? Like, yeah. let, let's say well, Kyron I mean, Williams. Let's
2: say Kyron Williams returns, and it's <laughs> Kyron Williams, Logan Diggs, and Chris Tyree. Um, it's Michael Mayer, with probably you know the reserve tight ends are the same. It's an offensive line that returns maybe four of the five starters, but Kevin Austin leaves and Avery Davis is coming back from ACL. Like, are you suddenly going to chuck it all over the place?
0: Do you have with, a, with a quarterback,
2: Williams? with a quarterback who know you, you, who you know, can run it in Buckner. Like, I think in some ways, if Buckner's the quarterback, it could be a, a more run first offense next year than it was this
1: year. I think it will be but there'd yeah, be more I mean, RPOs you do, you involved, have, so many RPOs involved. If it's Buckner, that it, it yeah, balances yeah. out. If you run more, well, you're going to run more. Tyler Buckner is going to run a hundred more times than Jack Cohn did. You have well, to run more.
0: It's you're impossible also going to, to have a developing Colsey and, and, and styles another year in a program, presumably, you know, pretty close, close, it's closer to hitting the ground running in the spring and then going into sure. the fall. But I, you know, I understand uh, what you're saying. I don't, I mean, I, I Tommy Reese is head coach of the offense. I mean, that that that's that's what has been created. That's what Marcus Freeman wanted. Uh, and And I think it will I don't see any significant changes other than what's dictated by the personnel that you have and and is developing.
2: I think that if there's a change, it will be more go for your throat offensively i I
0: wrote i wrote that down i agree with that i totally agree with that
2: like that's not that's not a difference in the plays you're calling necessarily it's a difference of like how much how you keep the pedal to the floor it was not brian kelly's mo i do think it is reese's mo i i go back to the alabama game last year remember when they were gonna punt in the fourth quarter yeah yeah and then and then they didn't I'm pretty sure Brian Kelly wanted a punt and Tommy Reese was like, we're not doing that. Like we're going to go for it. And then they ended up scoring a touchdown to like make the score look a little bit better. But I just think Reese is much more inclined to like, let's go for it. Let's keep going for it. Let's blow these people out.
1: It's going to be easy to discern too, because they only went for it 16 times on fourth down and, that won't be the case again. And that, that's not totally painting the picture of what you guys are saying. I think there's a lot more to it than going for it on fourth down. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's like
2: mine like, is more a mentality get, of like, let, let's put quarter. 50
0: on these people if we can.
2: Right,
1: right. At the
0: guess, end of the North Carolina and USC games, I think they would have scored. Totally agree with you guys on that. Question from Terry Benedict. It's fourth and three at the Notre 48 in the Fiesta Bowl. Who is making the call to go for it or punt? Let's say they punt. Who is getting the punt team ready? Marcus
1: Freeman's making the call to go for it.
0: Yes, yeah. It's this isn't a. It's he's not. He's talking a to Tommy
1: Reese and saying, "What do you have here?" And he says, "We have this, but we have to consider this score and this time." And then Marcus Freeman's yeah. definitely making. It's it not
0: call. a the interim. The, yeah. the interim talk is is well in the past now. I know what um, he's
1: saying is Reese,
0: but yeah, who Reese gets the talking about
1: saying we've we've repped this hundred times, coach? Now's the time to go for it, right? Because
0: and that. and that's the way the communication should be. That's 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 communicating within a staff. That's the way it should be. Nobody should. Be fearful of somebody else. Uh, Now (laughs) I go back to the Holtz era. That that was a little different situation. Nobody was telling Lou Holtz what he should do or what he should call or anything like that, (laughs) but uh, it's a little bit different situation than it was. But I I, I think we mentioned already that, uh, you know, Freeman's got a background in special teams, Elston. I, I mean, I'm sure pretty much everybody to some extent has some background in so you you divvy up the you know the four main phases of it and and um, you're ready to roll. B fifty four.
1: What seniors have informed the staff they are returning?
0: If we knew what seniors have informed the staff that are returning, we would you would already know that. B fifty four. And and we don't at this point. And. <sighs>
1: I took a shot in Monday musings at all the possibilities. Okay. B- yeah. B- I mean, before S and I answered B 54 directly using beef's handle. So that should okay. be enough for beef this week.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we've gone over who we think will return and, and, and have, uh, let's see, Marcus Freeman. We knew Marcus Freeman was head coach Friday. It's now Thursday in that six days. Have there been conversations with seniors and, and Marcus Freeman? I would imagine. So, um, you know, Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lugg,
1: Evaluations come back next week to our best of our knowledge, right? We were told Tim, Did we know the we
0: were, date of that. Did I we know, thought we it?
1: heard it. I thought we heard in November that it was around December 15th, but okay. that
0: was okay. I, always I, would, I was, that, but. yeah, I think it's,
2: you know, for that stuff, Dane Brugler does all of our draft stuff over at the athletic and Tay, he came out with like sort of his position rankings. I, I think he does a good job, not because I work with him. I just think he does a good job. Um, But he had Kyrie Williams as the fourth best available running back. Uh, Kevin Austin was not in the top 15 at his position. Uh, Among interior offensive linemen, Jared Patterson was 15th. Uh, Among edge rushers, Isaiah Foskey was 11th. Um, So if if those rankings were what NFL people think, I would think that Foskey and Patterson should definitely come back. And then Kyron Williams would have a decision to make that, you know, could be, could be a good one either way. And
1: Kevin Austin, obviously. Yeah. Kevin Austin would
2: return based on not being on that list entirely.
1: I mean, Kevin Austin should read the only reason Kevin Austin wouldn't return is because he wants to leave Notre Dame after making it. Well, well, then he should grad transfer. Right. No, I don't exactly. know if
0: I ever ended up saying that after yeah. I, my outburst a few weeks ago, but then he should, then he should grad transfer. I encourage him to do that. Don't go, don't turn pro that. You're not ready for that right. but if you if you don't if you're not happy in Notre Dame then go somewhere else and play for a fifth year and you'll be a hell of a lot more ready for for the NFL uh the the uh, 2022 schedule came out the other day the the exact order of it uh and Kay Beasley wants to know what our thoughts are on the 2022 schedule. We like the trips.
1: Yeah, love the trips. It's a unique schedule to uh, begin with Ohio State, end with USC, have Clemson mixed in with four non-power five teams. It's a strange
0: world. You wrote a piece the other day, yeah. Tim. I thought that was good. You just gave us food for thought and some fodder about about each one of them. When you got to UNLV, you said it just this is this seems like one too many like, non-power five teams. All of a
1: sudden, you're like in late. you later in the year. You're like, wow. Well, who are they playing this week? This doesn't make a lot of sense for Notre Dame. UNLV,
0: that, that's awfully late for a team like that. It for, is. It's for, the, for the rhythm of Notre Dame schedules, generally speaking.
1: Right, right. It's just, I mean, you know what? Marcus Freeman saved the home opener of 2021 by becoming the new head coach. Because there would be about 17 people there for the Marshall game if Brian Kelly came back. <laughs> Yeah, especially at 0-1-1. Now there'll be a nice – this is Marcus Freeman's first home game. It's his third game, but his first home game.
0: Someone brought up could the UNLV game be moved to week zero in advance of Ohio State, and then you would have two buys because the buy right now is between games four and five, which is at North Carolina and BYU in Las Vegas. That would – Probably uh it would be a great a lot move. Of
1: sense it would be a great move, and UNLV would be all for it. I would think because that gets them on TV that everybody's watching. Yeah, Zero.
0: Yeah, that's a good. Creating point. two creating two bye weeks would uh would be good. Would be good. Uh, just to a quick rundown for those that haven't seen it right now. They open at Ohio State, then it's Marshall, then it's kell both of those at home. Ugh. Then they travel to North Carolina. Then the bye week. Then it's BYU in Vegas. Stanford at home, UNLV at home at Syracuse, although that isn't uh, necessarily going to be at Syracuse. It could be somewhere in New York. You'll be making that trip by yourself there, O'Malley. Uh, Clemson at at home uh, at Navy is in Baltimore. You will also be making that trip alone, O'Malley. And then it's Boston college with Phil Djokovic. We can only hope that he's healthy and it's a, a big build-up to that. And then finishing at USC. You with know,
1: see on senior day Phil
0: Djokovic, right? What could go wrong? That's
2: right. Um, I got a question about in my mailbag, like five years from now, it looks like Notre Dame's regressed. What, what happened? Um, and the first thing that came to mind was the schedule. The schedule happened. Brian Kelly, Played 13 games against top 10 teams in 12 years. It's reasonable to think that Marcus Freeman will face 10 top 10 teams in his first four years. So, you know, one Oklahoma State is a top 10 team. Ohio State's going to be a top 10 team both times they play them. Clemson probably a top 10 team both times they play them. Texas A&M, considering they're going to finish number one in recruiting three years from now, probably a top 10 team. Uh, and then you've got USC, who is no longer Clay Hilton, USC. It's Lincoln Riley, USC. That doesn't even get into the postseason games that you're probably going to play against yeah. top 10 teams. So, Great point. you know, if we're sitting here and it's like Marcus Freeman went 42 and 10 in his first four years, that's a regression from. No, it's not. It's not because um, the teams that Notre Dame is going to play over the next few years, the schedule is going to go back to more of a traditional Notre Dame level schedule. With a first-time head coach. That's that's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. Um, that's gonna be a lot to grow into
0: for him. All right, we're gonna wrap up with a question from Dan Ertz. In his introductory press conference, Marcus Freeman was asked about his recruiting philosophy, to which he responded, I better be the number one recruiter, I better be the lead recruiter on every kid we recruit, and I plan on doing it. If I'm not the lead recruiter, then we're cheating them. Dan Ernst's question is. Can Marcus Freeman coach the men's basketball team or maybe just be the recruiting czar? No more excuses for the product on the court and the product on the court this weekend faces Kentucky at Notre Dame ring of honor for Lofonzo Ellis, which all of us that know Lofonzo, he's a prince of a human being and was a great player at Notre Dame and deserves it. Not sure how uh, everything else is going to go against Kentucky on Saturday. The program is, is broken, man. I mean, they're three and four, the performance against Boston College was, uh, I, I don't like the word, to use the word embarrassing, but it was. It was a non-effort, and uh, they're in trouble. Uh, you know, the, the talent's not as good as it, as it was anticipated, and the players aren't responding. When, when Nate Leszewski shoots four times in 29 minutes of action, I have to ask, what exactly are we doing here?
1: I think the greater it's, issue is they can come out and beat Kentucky and have five more games like the B.C. game in the month of January. Right? This is college basketball. Anyone should be able to upset somebody at home.
0: Yeah. And no, in the press. Kentucky, no pre- Kentucky you know, doesn't have Anthony Davis or – I mean, come on. This is- no, I know. And their backs are against the wall. And so, really, actually, I do expect them to come out and play right. well. But, but I expected them to go off. with some fire to Boston College and play. And there was no uh, – Blake Wesley is so good athletically, such a great athlete, that he's running around with four other guys that can't keep up with him. That's what it looked like.
2: Not a good situation. Not a good situation at all. I, I There's just no – can you come – I don't want to say, like, you can't come back from this, but, like, man, I don't, it, is, I don't. it is a very – like. Teams that start that are under 500 when conference play starts do not make the NCAA tournament.
0: No, no, they don't. It, I the the program feels like it's being held hostage.
1: Hey, you'd have to be Kentucky and Indiana, but we're just being ridiculous to talk about the NCAA tournament right now. That's not. I, mean,
0: yeah, come on. I you know, I've I've how many times in the last couple of years I felt like this group of of players were going to improve, and they don't. Dane Goodwin's improved. Prentice Hub hasn't. Nate Leschewski, it goes without saying. He hasn't. BC is Um,
1: clearly the worst. BC is clearly the worst, Tim. But the A&M loss, like St. Mary's, it's really hard to, like St. Mary's, my feeling was, this is the game you're supposed to win finally when you're Notre Dame. You're old. They're old. You're Notre Dame. They're St. Mary's. How about you pull it out for once? Texas A&M, they lost because they were pressured. What world are we living in where Notre Dame plays with four guards and four seniors and six seniors out there and they're running around and they, they lose because yeah. They really got up into us. They really pressured us. It's basketball. You're going to get pressured, right? You're going to get pressured, dribble the ball. I- I'm not, this is ridiculous. It's, it's like, that's like saying yeah, it was really tough, man. I mean, they just ran the ball on us the whole time. Like, it was really hard. We couldn't stop them from running. So they just ran. And we, if, if we could have stopped them from running, we would be better. Yeah, you would be That's why people get
0: all of us. I mean, come on. I mean, we, Tim you were you were you were an accomplished high school basketball player but I mean at some point when you grew up playing you faced a team that was better and you got pressured and you have no answers for it because you're a bunch of kids running around trying to deal with pressure these are I mean this is this is their livelihood this is what you 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 can't get them to beat and I under I know what it feels like you have a four (laughs) guard (laughs) offense it's like you have a four guard offense once A&M started pressuring them, the game was over, and it was just like turnover after turnover after, and, and just a lack of cohesion. It's it's bad. The program feels like it's being held hostage right now, and they need to change that feeling.
1: And we were wrong. I thought they would be – I mean, I didn't think they'd be awesome record right now. I thought they'd be better than this. You figure you, figure you get through IU, Kentucky, BC, and those three games at two losses – Nine, that's cool. Roll into the ACC turn. Let's roll in the ACC play. Let's go. They just, you, I mean, they were wired wire to wire to Boston College
0: and folded up. They were down 24 Davis. in the second half. It that's felt impossible. it would start feeling like uh like North Carolina. It was like North Carolina Last year was the the ACC. players. Yeah.
1: It's like if yeah. North Carolina had all bad players, that's what Boston the Three College
0: and four, they should be five and two. You shouldn't have lost to both Texas AM and St. Mary's. And for God's sakes, you shouldn't have gone to Boston College and got blown out. It's ridiculous the program needs to change. We know it. Everybody knows it. Maybe they can pull together to do some good things this year, but it just, it just needs a facelift. And you have a great, you, you have a very, very good class coming in next year. You need to take advantage of it. But right now I think it's on the coaching and it's on the players too, because their effort at Boston college was ridiculous. All right. Too much enough about basketball. Hope we got everybody uh, got most of the questions answered here today. Glad that we were able to make it an all question podcast. We will be back on Monday. Uh, what will we be talking about on Monday? We'll be talking more about the recruiting class that is about to sign uh, on Wednesday. And hopefully we know that, that we know that Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame coaching staff is doing everything they can to make that happen and to finish it off strong among those that aren't committed. I think on Wednesday, in most cases, if not all, Notre Dame's going to, uh, going to sign the class that we expect them to sign. So we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. Until next week, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, thanks for joining us.
1: Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project Certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Galaban Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more.